Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, it's Max. Before we get started, I want to tell you quickly about a uh, sponsor making today's show possible. It's Mubi. That's M-U-B-I. Algorithms don't get great storytelling, which is why an algorithm has no business choosing the films that you watch. Mubi is a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe picked by actual humans. Every day they introduce a new movie, a gem, if you will, and you have one month to watch it, whether it's a timeless classic, a thought-provoking documentary, or a groundbreaking masterpiece. Their lineup is always hand-picked by experts. Plus, you can delve deeper into the films with exclusive interviews, video essays, and critical reviews on Mubi's notebook. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash longform. That's mubi.com slash longform. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. And here is that show. Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are uh, Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hi. Howdy. This is uh, this was a field interview. Yeah, man. I was in Los Angeles, and uh, an old friend of mine lives in Los Angeles, Mara Shalab. And uh, I worked with Mara back when she was the editor of Creative Loafing in Atlanta, the Alt Weekly in Atlanta. And she went from there to Chicago. She was the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader, famed Alt Weekly of Chicago. And then she moved to Los Angeles, and she was the editor-in-chief of LA Weekly, the Alt Weekly in Los Angeles, until like two weeks ago when she and her whole staff were fired. Not her whole staff. All but three were fired by a uh, group of then-anonymous buyers. So... LA Weekly had been like on the sale block for a while. They knew that probably some cuts were going to come. This company buys them. They don't know who's behind the company. And then Mara got a call that was basically like, you're fired and also your whole staff is fired. And the buyers have since been revealed. Yeah. So they've been revealed as a group of uh, conservative kind of like political operative businessmen from Orange County. Uh, Their right wingerness is... Of note, because alt weeklies are traditionally sort of liberal left leaning publications. So uh, it's a little confusing why they are buying that. Also, uh, a guy named Armstrong Williams in DC, who's like Ben Carson's right hand guy, is trying to buy the city paper of Washington, DC, which is also up for sale. It's all just very confusing. I worked at the city paper, I worked with Mara at these alt weeklies. So I was in LA, and Mara only had like a very brief window. She's trying to figure out what she's going to do with the rest of her life and was like running off to an appointment to do that. Uh, but I got like 
half an hour and we just talked about what had happened and how weird it was and also kind of the state of all weeklies. Sounds upbeat. Yeah, <laughs> uh, We're brought to you, as always, by MailChimp. Uh, hey, they were named Inc.'s Company of the Year, I believe. Deserved. Well-deserved. They've been with us since the beginning. Uh, they're the kind of company that wants shows like this to exist. If you want companies like that to exist, consider doing your email newsletter with MailChimp. Thank you, MailChimp. And now here's Max with Mara Shalop. Hey, Maura. Hi. How are you? I've had better weeks. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you have had better weeks. I sure have. Pretty much every week has been a better week. Basically all the weeks. All the weeks were better than this week. We are in Los Angeles. We're in your dining room, I guess this yeah, is called. It is a dining room. It's and taken over by my child. Yeah, it's mostly a play area, uh-huh. but it's also part dining room. And yeah, why don't you um, tell me a little bit about your week? About my week? So last Tuesday, a week ago today, I got word that almost my entire staff was about to lose their jobs. A staff of people who I loved, many, at least half of whom I hired myself. And we had known maybe that things would not go well with the sale of LA Weekly. It had been kind of actively shopped for about a year. And then we knew that it had sold to a group called Seminole six weeks prior to last Tuesday, but the closing wasn't until that week, last week. And so, yes, I got the list of who was staying and who was going. How does that list come? Uh, It came from the publisher who also was losing his job. I never had any contact with these buyers of this publication. I just got word that here's everybody who will not need to be coming back um, the day after tomorrow. There's like a technicality, which people might not know when a publication gets sold, like kind of everyone gets fired and then gets asked to come back. Yes. In an ideal situation, as a technicality, everybody loses their job and then the new company hires back everybody. And that actually what had happened um, at the Chicago Reader, where I was editor before. Uh, It was purchased by this group Rapports that also owned the Sun-Times. And we went through that very process of everybody losing their jobs and then everybody getting hired back in that instance. Not Um, so this time around. So your publisher, like you get like an email with just a bunch of names? It wasn't an email. He came into my office at least. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he was pretty, you know, upset too, obviously. Like he wasn't going to be staying either and he didn't know until then. And how many people did you have on staff and how many people were you told, including yourself? Sure. The edit staff is 13 and they were keeping, they kept four, but they lost all the editors and they kept only one of the writers. So what do you do next? Like what you get? <laughs> you freak out probably... for about, you know, 20 minutes. I'm still freaking out. And, you know, I have to, the publisher was like, you know, you don't have to come in tomorrow. I'm like, oh my God, of course I'm coming in tomorrow. He was doing that to be nice, knowing it was a devastating situation. But of course I'm like, I want to tell every single person individually what's going on. Like, yeah. you know, they've worked time and a half. This is an alt weekly. Like nobody has, you know, the luxury of time. Um, they are there because of their passion and they're there. They're in the middle of stories. Most of them They have like many, many assignments out and they're mid edit on several stories. I mean, it was crazy to just be like, oh my God, everybody has to put on the brakes right now. And we're sitting there around waiting for the sale to go through. Nobody knows they're losing their jobs except for me. And then finally, you know, the sale goes through and I start meeting with everybody one-on-one to break. Did you think your job news. was in jeopardy? Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you thought it was even before that? For, yeah. I mean, in the past sale I had been through, I was, you know, brought in, you know, at a reasonable amount of time ahead of the sale and asked about 
transition plans and how I could be of help. And, you know, I, I was, I heard nothing. And so I just figured it didn't look good. And he also, um, one of the investors who is now, I don't know what his title is, operations manager, manager editor, publisher. I'm not really sure. Brian, Ka- Brian Kaye. Yeah. Uh, he had told the LA Times in regards to the editorial staff that he would be keeping some of the employees. So if you're, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it looked good for me, but I certainly would have never anticipated this depth of cuts. So you go back in the next day and yeah. then just like, I, I haven't been around for one of those things. So tell me what that's <laughs> Hopefully like. Hopefully you never are. I mean, I went in, I called a morning meeting. It was their normal editor's meeting. And I'm like, look, everybody do what you need to do. Chill out, get into a good headspace over the next few hours. Don't work on your stories. <laughs> like, I mean, I think people must have known something was not good at that point. I'm like, just, you know, let's bring in some beer, like order lunch, whatever. <laughs> like, I didn't want people to be making calls for their next piece or like getting people on the record in the middle of this, it would have felt even more crazy. Yeah. It was crazy enough. So yeah, that's what we did. And then you just like start bringing people in one by one. Yeah. What are those conversations like? Well, I was like, look, I'm just going to cut right to it. You're losing your job. And I lost my job too. If that's any consolation. I mean, I think it's an easier way to go down. If you're going to lose your job to have the person telling you also right. be losing his or her job. So yeah, that's, so we're now a week after that. Yep. And what do you know now about the people who did this? Well, I, I only know what I'm able to see on the site and read elsewhere and, you know, hear a little bit through the grapevine. Because that's one of the really crazy parts of the story. And one of the reasons I was so interested in talking to you is at that point, you guys didn't even know who they were, right? We knew only um, Brian Kaye's name and David Welch, who is uh, an attorney who represents marijuana dispensaries. Unsurprisingly, because, of course, recreational marijuana is about to be legal in California for retail sale uh, starting in January. So the potential of an alt-weekly to bring in an an incredibly lucrative new revenue stream is not lost on anybody. Right. In fact, our sister publication, Westward, former sister publication, Westward in Denver, had seen, you know, a huge infusion of money and a huge jump in the page count of the print edition and all kinds of stuff as a result of uh, legal weed. Right. But that's like part of what makes this brutal, right? Is like you guys were expecting a little boom. On the cusp of something that could have, yes, given us new momentum so the theory was uh these were a bunch of like legal weed guys that was the theory i don't know that that has actually panned out there's the one guy as far as i know but i just have all these questions about what happened because it seems so surreal it was like you'd been bought by a company that was formed a month before there were only two names that were public and it was like you were (laughs) you were firing yourself and your staff (laughs) on behalf of some like anonymous right group right what the fuck? And then it got even weirder. I think the past week got a little weirder. So one of the investors, you know, who was the only kind of liberal leaning guy, um, I think my understanding is he pulled out as of yesterday, understanding the scope of, you know, these other investors. So lots of um, libertarian and conservative and Republican donors in this mix. Um, you know, causes that don't align with what the weekly has historically stood for. Yeah. Help me understand why would a bunch of right wing dudes be interested in an alt weekly? I wish I could help you understand that. I have no idea. Do you have a theory? uh, I mean, maybe the weed money looked very attractive just as a financial pursuit. Maybe it is an attractive proposition to quiet 
a publication with as progressive and liberal a stance as The Weekly has had on, on many issues. Do you have any sense of what the paper sold for? I don't. I really don't. I would imagine, though I don't know, that the price went down as the months went on. But I, right. have, I have I mean, no idea. One can imagine like a bunch of really wealthy guys from like Orange County. <laughs> Who think that LA, mind you, is um, has a cultural scene that trails behind New York's and San Francisco who right. have not expressed a lot of optimism or faith in the scene and, or obviously in the people who manned this publication. So if, if you're not buying it for the people and you're not buying it for the city in which it resides, it is curious to me. Well, I mean, it's important to be clear about like uh, scales and relativity here, right? So there was going to be a boom coming with weed advertising, but it's not like putting out a print weekly newspaper is a, was going to be some fabulous business in 2018. It was just right, going to be like a little right. better. Yeah, a little like, better. A little better. Yeah. If yeah. you're trying to make money, the thing you would do is not buy an all-weekly. That's not like, <laughs> they're, they're not like a, it's not like a cash cow I can't business. disagree with you there. <laughs> so what the fuck are these guys doing? Like, why, It's not for the money. Well, here's what they're not doing. They haven't published that I've seen, I haven't looked this morning, any stories that weren't already planned by the staff, and they have certainly, like we were publishing 12 to 15 pieces of content a day, mostly you know stories, but also um, video and slideshows. And, and they have published between like one, two, maybe three or four stories in a single day in the, mm. over this past week. But the, the volume went screeching to a near halt. The social media presence has all but stopped. Like we were obviously aggressive, like every other media organization, aggressively tweeting and updating um, our Facebook feed on the half hour to half hour basis. I mean, that has almost stopped entirely. They've taken down two tweets that have offended people so far. The readership, in the, as far as comments and Twitter conversation goes, has obviously not taken kindly to what has happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to reach too much, but like it doesn't seem like they thought a lot about the transition. Yeah, that would be yeah, I think that's a <laughs> I don't pretty know good way to look at it. I don't know if we've seen that other places, but yeah, it's like uh like slightly fumbling. I understand that maybe this is a question that uh you can't answer because it might get you into some trouble, but you and I worked together for the Alt Weekly in Atlanta and after that I worked at the City Paper in DC. And that paper is also up for sale right now. And it appears that the leading buyer is a guy named Armstrong Williams, who is like Ben Carson's main advisor. Right. A staunch conservative. Yes. That's and uh, what is your theory as to why people on the right would be interested in these newspapers? I mean, I have a couple. Maybe there could be some sort of, you know, if I was... Making this guess a week ago without knowing what was about to happen, I would say maybe there's a subtle initiative to like kind of start injecting new perspectives into these publications and and you know have a a loyal, avid audience of, of young, mostly young, but still aging up as well uh, audience uh, at its disposal. They have huge social followings. They have deep roots in the community. So if you wanted to do a sort of subtle <laughs> takeover of perspectives and whatnot, I mean, they could be good tools for that. Right. Uh, but nothing has been subtle really about either of, maybe they were attempting to be subtle in the case of LA Weekly and everything just kind of went bonkers. But yeah, I could see them maybe being like, oh, this is a relatively affordable mouthpiece. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the best I can come up with. It almost feels to me like trolling. Yeah, yeah. Like... That could be. I mean, there is something kind of appealing about being able to buy 
an institution for what feels like a very low price that has historically talked to an audience that doesn't agree with you. Right. And watch them freak out. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. But it's like, that plan's not going to last, right? Like, that's not like a long term. It's like throwing money in the garbage. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, um, it's, but it's not even like throwing money in the garbage. It's like um, driving up to a less well-off neighborhood than the one you live in where someone you don't like lives and go into their house and putting a pile of money on their lawn and then lighting it on fire. <laughs> That's good. It's not even a I garbage. Like it's yeah. like, I would like you all to see me light this money on fire. Yeah. What? I, I just don't get it. I'm totally confused. I think I'm as confused as you are. So what's the last week been like? Like, uh, Well, I'm looking for work, <laughs> <laughs> looking for a job. Um, you know, so that's almost like a full-time job. I mean, being unemployed is so much more work than I ever realized. Like, it is a ton of work. It's so much work finding a new job, you mean? Yeah, but also just like trying to stay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I need to stop at some point, but trying to stay on top of what is happening with this publication yeah. that I have loved for so long and, you know, um, well, very understandably aspired seems... to work for one day and finally was able to do so and just seems... Yeah, I mean, I, very understandably, it seems like you and the staff ha, are pretty publicly, and I assume there's lots of private conversations too, just like trying to both make some sense of it and also kind of almost like eulogize the place, like not let people forget what it was 10 days ago. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, these are this is a crazy news cycle that we're in every single day. And like a story like this is can easily get lost because of everything else happening in, in the country and the world. But there is this thing that's like, okay, if the LA Weekly is going to not be what it once was or eventually close, I don't know what, what will happen. You know, that is a tremendous loss for the city of Los Angeles. And the same could be said of any of the cities served by these alt-weeklies that are uh, have shuttered or in the process of, you know, in, in the process of a downward spiral, which I think is fair to say about some. And in some cases, it's not through any fault of, of their own. It's just these outside forces that are crazy. But yeah, I mean, these are publications, as you know, that surface stories that just don't get surfaced any other way, right? Mm -hmm. Surface stuff that maybe mainstream media ends up picking up that could be in the form of a hole-in-the-wall restaurant or a specific band with a certain sound that's just not mainstream at that time, but maybe will become mainstream at some time. You know, investigative stories that the dailies or other mainstream publications won't touch for one reason or another. You know, we don't have to, we, I keep saying we, alt-weeklies don't have to be um, concerned with the pa doing the duties of a paper of record so they can go deep on stories and give people time. And even with shrinking staffs, they've been able to do that, to do investigative work, to do long-form narratives, to do these kinds of stories that just I am so fearful about what it will look like for cities without those an outlet for those kinds of stories and for young writers who need and deserve hands-on editing that these kinds of editors can give them and help you know really launch careers as you know many yeah I mean so many people, people that like, we've had on the show their first job was at an alt weekly my first job was at an alt weekly I it's like I think it was the best job I'll ever have. Yeah. I got paid, you know, I don't know, 20 something thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year and like learned how to write from a bunch of really smart people. Yep. And now I just like those jobs don't exist. Yeah. It's a tragedy for journalism. It's a tragedy for young people, people of color. It's a tragedy for the subjects of stories that won't get written now. That's just the reality. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, I'm going to take a quick break and uh, tell you a little bit about Skillshare. Skillshare is not only making today's show possible, it's also uh, like the Netflix for online learning. They've got over 3 million members and more than 17,000 classes. You can take classes in graphic design, DSLR photography, social media marketing, digital illustration, many, many, many more, like 17,000 more. Skillshare classes are taught by industry experts and experienced professionals. Perfect if you're looking to build your career or start the side hustle of your dreams. I am not trying to start the side hustle of my dreams. It sounds totally exhausting, but I would like to like know how to do anything else. Just, I don't need to do it professionally. It would be nice, I guess. But like, I just want to know how to do something else. And Skillshare is great for just picking up like some random skill. Uh, They've got like a watercolor class. I could see taking a watercolor class. I think I could get pretty into it. I don't think I'd be that good at it. But I would love to just learn another skill. They've got language stuff, business stuff. Uh, If you need to get up to date on software, they've got design classes, Adobe Illustrator. You can learn how to make logos, pattern design, typography. Wouldn't that be so cool to take a class in typography? Go uh, better yourself with Skillshare. And you can do it right now with a one-month free trial. Unlimited access to those 17,000 classes. Go to www.skillshare.com slash longform to start that free one-month trial today. Again, that's www.skillshare.com slash longform. Free month. Go learn how to watercolor. What could be better than that? Let's get back tomorrow. You've spent your whole career in this, and you were just saying the LA Weekly was this place that you had aspired to work. And when I was working in all weeklies, one of the things that struck me was people like yourself, like these just kind of like immensely talented journalists who had spent considerable amounts of time working up to these jobs, you know, like Allison Shrew at the Chicago yeah. Reader and Eric Wemple at the City Paper yeah. and these folks who had spent years and years like figuring out how to make a great weekly newspaper and then they got there and this was 2008 2009 that was like the moment where people were reckoning with like the internet was not going away like the internet existed <laughs> I hope they had figured it out by then my god barely barely <laughs> um and all of a sudden that job had really changed you know mm-hmm. and like it wasn't really about putting out a weekly newspaper it was about figuring out how at that point to try and evolve and meet people where they were and do more with less, which right. was a uh, right. like constant, the old mantra. Season five. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it always struck me spending time with them that they had worked so hard to get really good at this thing. And then right when they got there, the job changed. Yeah. Was that your experience of it? Uh, I think I was, you know, I'm only slightly younger than those folks you mentioned. Yeah. But you're like a, you're like from a different, slightly different. Just generation. slightly different. I mean, I started it out weeklies at a time when it would have been, it was, I remember the first story we published online ahead of the print publication and it felt revolutionary. Right. We're like we're putting something online before it's even in print. This is crazy. And then we, you know, we watched the story unfold and updated it and put it, the final product in the print product. And it was, it felt nuts. I mean, it was so fun. And now it's just like, oh my God, that's <laughs> hilarious. It, that was what, not even 15 years ago. Yeah. I had um, to, I, my first year was 2004 and I had to campaign super hard for a blog. Right. Months, fought right. for months right. for, for one blog. Yeah. So, I mean, I always found the challenges of transforming an alt weekly for the digital age to be exciting and to, you know, 
and have rallied people as, as best I could. And most of them were very willing to be rallied. And I thought we were. LA Weekly has had a lot of success in the digital space. And, and the others mostly have too, mm-hmm. I think. Like, so it's, you know, similar issues that are plaguing other publications. Right. Like we can get more audience than we've ever had by being aggressive with digital strategy. We are not going to get more money than we've ever had. Right. I mean, there's just <laughs> fundamental things about the all-weekly model, like classifieds and movie listings Correct. and all these things that the business was built off of that just don't make any sense anymore. I mean, I guess, you know, you became the editor-in-chief of the paper in Atlanta and then went in where the editor-in-chief in Chicago and then came here. When did you get the Atlanta job? When was that? It was 2010, I think. So, you know, the last seven years. And I assume that there were opportunities that came along in that time that were outside of all weeklies. Why do you stick with those papers? I mean, I really believe and still believe in what they do and what they're doing. I kind of like the scrappy underdog nature of the alt weekly. I mean, I, I think that it's a lot of fun. I like the style of writing. I think it could be much more bold and and straightforward and gutsy in approach. And I like the relationship between the alt weekly and the community it serves. Mm-hmm. It's a very different dynamic, not better or worse, but different at national publications that might have a similar sensibility or tone, but don't have quite the same relationship, you know, at that ground level, that street level. And then, you know, I like that at an Alt Weekly, you can do all different kinds of things. Like I can like try out weird stuff in the video space or then be like, oh, I want to just focus on like growing food coverage for a little while. And then be like, okay, now it's like turn my attention to investigative and staff up around the skill set of the people who I feel like hiring instead of having everything be so sort of formulaic, if mm-hmm. you will. So, you know, it's been a fun, semi-freeform experience. Help me understand the, like, pie chart of your job. How much was fun and how much was hard over the last seven years? Oh, probably 50-50 split, <laughs> which is pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. Right? I would have, I I uh, like, maybe I'm a pessimist. I would have predicted more uh, more difficulty. No, no, I think it was as hard as it was fun. Because, I, I mean, just kind of watching from uh, this like slight remove i just it's been uh it sucked it sucked to watch what's happening with these papers yeah and like it it breaks my heart that this fucking dude is gonna buy the washington city paper and these guys just bought the la weekly Um, and the print edition of the village voice is no more and the print edition of the houston press is no more to the extent that they laid off that entire stuff except for the editor-in-chief you know gustavo ariano at osa weekly stepped down from his job as editor when I think tasked with cutting half of his editorial staff, you know, he's also a force to be reckoned with. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. The disruption all in this year to these publications. Did you feel like it was inevitable and, or did you feel like it would come this quickly? No, I mean, I didn't think it was an, I was kind of an optimist. I was like, eh, you know, we'll continue to kind of correct ourselves as best we can and keep plowing ahead. And, you know, I was not really singing along with the chorus of Death of Alt Weeklies until last week. <laughs> and, then, and I really quickly The joined. chorus showed up at your house. <laughs> yeah. It's a different kind of Christmas carol. Indeed. So, no. I mean, I didn't think it was inevitable. How did that... You were talking about, like, the relationship with the community. How did that evolve over the last seven years? Did that change at all? Yes and no. I mean, historically, it would be like the clubs have nowhere else to advertise, and they're dependent on the Alt Weekly and, and the 
you know, we're writing up their bands anyway. And, you know, so just as far as a business relationship, you know, these, uh, a business can start its own blog, like a cool, you know, uh, music venue might have its own way of getting out its information or through a newsletter. So they don't need us as much, but I still think the relationship has been strong. And I think that especially in Southern California, post uh, in the Trump era, there's been kind of this renewed, I thought, interest in the plight and the the fight of the alt-weekly in this community in particular. And we've been energized about covering stories the way that the Trump administration trickles down to this community. And they have been warmly and widely received, those stories. So, I mean, it was powerful to watch just when that news broke last week. Like the, the news cycle moves really fast and it's so loud everywhere. I was just kind of like blown away by how much passion people seem to have for that story. I mean, what was it like for you to just kind of like have that kind of like uh, the maw looking at you for a while? It was weird. So like my only thought at first was like, how do I do the best I can do for my staff that's about to just be devastated along with me? And my focus was really on that. And I honestly thought that the new owners would come in with like new people, you know, that we were just kind of being replaced. And that has not happened yet. So we're all like, wait, like slowly after we've all kind of sobered up from the loss of our own jobs, like, you know, we're realizing just the true scope of what is going on or what isn't going on with this publication. And it has become a little more horrifying than, you know, the horror of just your own financial situation and your right. own loss of, you know, a little bit of loss of identity, which will be regained. But, you know, that happens. Just, you mean, just watching uh, this place kind of become a ghost of itself as, as opposed to like reimagined or invented in some way. Right. I mean, you know, they put out a call for presumably unpaid contributors. I think they later confirmed that, yes, unpaid contributors to take the place of us and our freelancers. Didn't they also spell Angelinos wrong? They spelled it wrong. Like, it's a spelling <laughs> that some people use, but it's not the spelling that anybody here uses. It's like, what? You fucking assholes. And then they took it down. They took it down. And then they had put up, like, a, a photo of our creative director, um, you know, priding him for the 500 covers he's done, he's been there for 10 years and, and looking forward to 500 more. And people were like, you've just like put up one of the few people who kept their jobs. Have you talked to people who are still there? Not so much. I mean, I, I feel for them. Like I'm not, you know. No. Yeah, it's got to be weird to like still be uh And I would be really disappointed if anybody is harboring any resentment or animosity towards those people. That That's not okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're in a, I'm sure they're in a weird spot. Yeah. <laughs> How did they make the decision about who stayed and who went? I have no idea. I mean, they kept three people who have a hand. I mean, everybody has a, one foot in print and one in digital. But, you know, keeping a creative director whose job is mostly print, but a lot of digital. A copy chief who handles, you know, the flow of content both to web and to print. Uh, and the music listings editor who's has skills beyond what that title would suggest. He's amazing. But... It, it appears to keeping print around just based on retaining those three. Right. And it's also, those are the three people or those are three of the people that really keep the trains running. Correct. So you can put Support out like a staff. Yeah. You can put out kind of will. like a ghost publication somehow. Maybe. Yeah. So we're talking on a Wednesday and the print edition is supposed to come out tomorrow. 
What do you think is going to be in there? Well, we know several things. So I had assigned a restaurant review to this wonderful writer, Javier Cabral, who had written for us for years and years. And we had recently lost our restaurant critic who moved to Australia and is now the critic for the New York Times in Australia. Good for her. It's very exciting. So Javier, you know, I was trying out critics. I had assigned him this review before I left. Like this stuff is done in advance. So I know his review will be out. The cover story by April Wolf, the former film critic, about Dave and James Franco, that she did an incredible job on this story. And we turned it in. It was turned in on Wednesday morning, last Wednesday morning. So That was another weird moment. Kaye, who's on the radio, right? And was talking about how like it was a a surprise what would be the cover story this week. But it was already published (laughs) online. (laughs) Yeah, but it was already out on his own website. Yeah. Yikes. So, yeah, we ha- I mean, this issue that comes out tomorrow is the last issue in which the outgoing staff played a role. So th- the one after will be interesting to see. Do you think you're like going to run out and go find it or are you going to like try to avoid that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yet. It's so weird to go out and pick up the publication you've worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't even thought about that yet. Well, I feel like everyone that I've ever talked to who's like left a, a place that they were running kind of like struggles to look at it for a while. But that's usually because like, I think Jack Schaefer used this example to me once that it was like, it's kind of like watching someone else raise your kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and you just kind of like got to look away. Yes. But this is like, um, (laughs) this is more like... My kid has been kidnapped. Kidnapped, yeah. (laughs) My kid has been, I don't even need to joke about that. I actually have a a small child. So Um, yeah, maybe I'll be afraid to look for a little while. I would love to be pleasantly surprised. Honestly, I wish no ill will. I mean, I want the thing to, but I just, I feel like how do you come back from letting all of these people go, people who just did an exceptionally good job. I mean, yeah, it's hard. You haven't talked to uh, any of the owners, I assume. No. Like, you haven't heard from them or No, anything. no, no. Have you talked to the publisher? Uh, he texted me. We were at the Press Club Awards on Sunday, and he was just texting me to be like, how are we doing? Keep me posted. You know, he was very Hey, you supportive. guys were nominated for 21? 21 Press Club Awards. <laughs> A paper that has, even the owners have said is did superficial coverage and, and it was on the decline and all this. Yeah, yeah, you guys that, are... That, that didn't really need to happen. Clearly doing a terrible job. Right, yeah. All right, well, you got to go in a second, but um, tell me a little bit about what, what it means for you, what you're going to do now, and also what you think happens with these papers. Well, I sure want to try to find a way to keep doing the kinds of stories we're doing. It's not going to probably be for another Alt Weekly, but you know, I have a real passion for this type of work and a belief in telling stories that matter. And I think that that was never something that is going out of, of style and it might become harder, but it will always be possible and important. But yeah, as far as the alt weeklies go, I mean, I will be rooting for them. Like I am so hopeful that somebody figures out how to turn the ship around and continue doing the good work. Say they don't. Then I hope some other kind of thing opens up that gives opportunity to young people trying to break into this field and get the editing. But I don't know what that looks like. If somebody's going to figure out a co-op or nonprofit that truly can sustain, which has been tricky, Um, if there's a subscriber model that might work at some point in a sort of give back to the, the community and give back to journalism. I mean, I think there is, despite what... The forces in the White House will have you believe. I think there is trust and admiration for the press right now and that there might be willing to be a business model of some some kind that supports that. It will not be in the same way. It will not employ as many people would be my guess. But for there to be some opportunity for this type of work. 
Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like either. And if it doesn't happen, I just don't know. All weeklies were all these, were all these things, right? And they were fun and told these stories and were irreverent and all of this stuff. But to me, the, the biggest thing that's being lost is just that avenue for people to learn how to do this. Yep. And I, and I don't know where that comes from. And, and to be paid to be able to do this. That's even exactly again, right. It was like, even a little bit of money. Like it still was that opportunity. And At least it was like you didn't have to go into debt to get experience. Right. And my experience was there were these editors at the Alt Weekly in Tampa who spent so much time teaching me how to do this. Yes. You know, like me too in the, Atlanta. the first cover story I wrote a guy named Eric Snyder stayed at the office with me until like two in the morning storyboarding out my fucking piece of shit first draft. <laughs> that was, you know, 19,000 words right. made no sense moving things around and like showing me how you do this. Yep. You know, I still get those, these emails all the time. I mean, you run like a website called long form do this podcast. People email you and ask like, how do I do this? And I don't know the answer now. And I feel like all weeklies have not, gotten quite the like respect they deserve for that yeah well let's give it to him now guys <laughs> you did a great job <laughs> i'm so sorry no but you know you think it's all gonna work out so we're so we're, so we're fine right yeah i don't sure. need, i don't need to feel this way no we're good uh you're gonna be good thanks i got a lot of faith thank you well i guess the other thing is like, i feel like i should apologize because you in your own right are like an amazing writer BMF, I think, is like one of the great alt-weekly stories of Thank all you. time. And if we were not in Los Angeles with like wildfires bearing down on us. <laughs> we have to all get out of town. And do not both need to escape right now, then we would spend a lot of time talking about that. And maybe uh, sometime down the line we can do that. I would be delighted. But now I'm just going to keep crying about alt-weeklies for okay, a while. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, thanks. Thank you. This was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Longform. Okay, so that conversation took place on Wednesday, December 6th in the morning. It is now Wednesday, December 13th in the morning. And uh, some things have happened with the LA Weekly. It was starting when I was out there, but uh, this boycott was building against the new owners. And advertisers started pulling out. The boycott started to grow. Columnists ended up uh, leaving the paper. People who had written for the paper years ago started denouncing the new owners. This whole sort of swell of uh, energy against the new ownership took place. And so they reacted. They uh, promoted the one staff writer they had kept to uh, editor-in-chief. They uh, said that he could hire back a couple of writers enough that they could keep their union. They said he would have full editorial control. And then, just yesterday, they suspended that guy without pay. So I don't know what's going to be in the print edition of uh, LA Weekly that comes out tomorrow. I don't even know if a print edition of LA Weekly will come out tomorrow. But I do know that I appreciate Mara Shalop taking that time in what was a uh, really crazy week. If you have some time in a not-so-crazy week, go read Mara's BMF series. It ran in the Atlantic Creative Loafing. Uh, it was over several parts. It is really one of the great alt-weekly stories of all time. Just an absolute feat of reporting. I can't believe we didn't get time to talk about it, but we'll bring it back on. Until then, my co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor this week was Janelle Piper, and our intern was Angela Velez. Our sponsors were Skillshare, Mubi, and MailChimp, Inc. Magazine's 2017 Company of the Year. You know we love MailChimp, but really, the culture there, the people there, it's a, it's a special place. And they really, really deserve that award. 
congratulations to them. We'll see you next week. Wait, one last thing before we go. If you are looking for something to do this weekend, watch a movie maybe, stream it in your own house, I recommend you try Mubi. Mubi is a different kind of online streaming company. It's uh, curated by actual humans, and there is not some endless scrolling infinite choice thing. There's only 30 films up on Mubi at a time, and each one is a hand-picked gem chosen by uh, by a person, an actual person. They got timeless classics, thought-provoking documentaries, groundbreaking masterpieces, all hand-picked. Plus, there's a bunch of extra stuff, exclusive interviews, video essays, critical reviews on Mubi's notebook. You can try it all for free for 30 days at Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash longform. Again, Mubi.com slash longform. 30 days free. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Really now. See you next week. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.